welcome to Lumpin' Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on WLPN. This week, Lumpin' Radio heard from a muckraking author about America's most dangerous job, heard new music from an old Lumpin' favorite, and chatted with an Iranian filmmaker about his award-winning project. All this plus the Trump Diaries and a live performance in Studio B from Feline, only on the Lumpin' Week in Review for November 24, 2017. I-94 chatted with Doug Delaney, author of Tower Dog. Delaney spoke about the most dangerous job in America and how American jobs are poisoning American workers. This segment also features an excerpt from Delaney's latest book. I-94, Lumpen's Books and Literature show, airs every Sunday at 10 a.m. And today we are going to be focusing on a book called Tower Dog, Life Inside the Deadliest Job in America, written by a man named Doug Scott Delaney. Doug is joining us on the phone momentarily. This book is out from Soft Skull Press. Doug, are you with us? I'm here, guys. Hey, Doug. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Doug, thanks so much for joining us today. There's there's a lot of these jobs like that. I mean, I I don't think people really realize just how much weirdness goes on in kind of the blue-collar world. You're, some of this it stuff rem, reminded me a lot of when I was working many, many years ago in a painting crew in New York, uh, upstate New York, and we had guys that would uh, pour turpentine in their beer at 6.30 in the morning and, and drink it. Yeah. You know, all, all kinds of crazy stuff that I tell people about now and they don't they don't believe me at all. Is there something about these kind of jobs that just makes people go crazy, Doug? There absolutely is. And it's not you know, and I, I, I would love to say we're the only lunatics in the business. We're not any field road workers. Uh, I've recently, you know, I've been a lot of this story takes place in Nashville and they're tearing up Nashville. That town is a boom non union boom town. It is incredible what's every road is tore up. We they've got crews from all over the country in Nashville. Road crews, power crews, electrical crews, borers, directional borers, fiber layers. They're all in hotels. They're all nuts. They're all the drugs, frankly, the drugs and alcohol in any blue collar industry is almost uncontrollable. And it it's what it is. These guys are gonna drink, they're gonna do their drugs, you can't stop it. Uh, it's what they do to unwind. Uh, like I said, you can't I'm not saying these are stupid men, but they are largely uneducated. And they, they will they will find what they need to get through the day. Now, does that affect their performance? Absolutely. But out of all the deaths in my book, and there's a lot of them, not one could be traced to use of drugs on a tower or use of alcohol on a tower. Whether a guy was hungover, they don't know. If a guy smoked pot a week before and he had THC in his system, okay. But that does not affect his job on a tower. Uh, so it goes to show you, you can't say that drugs are the killer in this industry. They are not. Drugs seem to be almost a tool for a lot of the industry. Coping mechanism. Yeah, I won't name the company, but <sighs> I was with the company whenever they had to take, because, you know, I have enough vices without drugs. And if they needed somebody to take just a mandatory test to the insurance company, I went, because they knew there might be a little out beer in there, but there was no drugs in there. So I was a designated cup filler. And now they do it so randomly, they avoid that now, they can randomly check anybody. But it's not in their, it's not in their best interest to do that, because I did a survey, an informal survey, out of a crew of men, there were ten of us, and two of us could pass the test on any given day. On any given day, these eight guys can never pass a test. And that, to me, is pretty much might be the, the, uh, the paradigm for the industry. 
or any blue collar industry for that matter. It is not solely in any way, you know, a, a tower thing. Yeah, well, I was being arch, you know, a little bit before when I said, you know, is is this is this job driving people crazy? But I mean, I, I actually now want to get to this point. Are these jobs where people are being worked to death? And are these jobs that are so low paid and so uh, poorly remunerated, when you, when you talk about an industry that's awash in drugs and alcohol, that sounds like a symptom of a sickness that the that these jobs are causing. These, these American jobs, these particularly American jobs, by the way, they're not like this in other countries, are, are causing. Is is this a symptom of, of a sickness that we have we have created? And and I think, you know, we've got two guys who, in the studio, of course, who are in recovery and can speak very much more to this than I can. But uh, this this seems to be a real problem that people aren't talking about, even beyond the, the horror the horror facts that, you know, in your book, you know, 40, 40 people die, you know what I mean, which is horrible enough. We're talking about a whole undiagnosed part of what, which seems to be a serious mental illness uh, that the, these jobs are causing. I think it's environmental in a lot of ways. If you want to really go big picture, and this is my personal opinion, uh, we have, back in when I was growing up, my father worked for a union elevator company, Houghton Elevator, New York City. My father was one of the men who built the World Trade Center. And my dad, at the time, say mid-70s, was making $8 an hour. He had a house, two cars, and supported a family of six. It was doable. There was a middle class. I think with the advent, let's say about 1980-ish, 88, and ever since then... Ronald Reagan. (coughs) Yeah, well, you know where I'm going. The (laughs) middle class has been eviscerated. The middle class has been destroyed. Find me one man with a decent pay who can raise, who can have a house, two cars, and raise a family. It's impossible. His wife's working. They're paying child support. The economy will dictate the pressure on any working man. And, you know, we've seen this happen before. I mean, you go back to Maitland or you go back to, uh, uh, you know, the 1920s and, and that, that unionizing era. That it, it seems to me the working class has lost its teeth for the upper low percentage of the company. It's a fact. It is a fact. The trickle-down theory is an illusion at Disneyland. There is no trickle-down. There's yeah. never been a trickle-down. If you think, well, here's the idea... Uh, and right now with these new tax cuts, and I'm not a tax expert, but the new tax cuts say if you make less than $50,000 a year, your taxes are going up. How yeah, you get hammered. <laughs> right. And you want to talk about putting, okay, if your tendency, if, you, if the pressure on you is like, you know, coal for a diamond to produce something with, with such pressure and, and no way, you take away hope. And they, they don't really take away hope from the working people. The people that aren't working and are trying to work can look at a situation and say, why should I take this job if I can make more not work? It's, it's a real problem. I don't have the answer, but if it leads to more abuse of substance, I agree 100%. Many a time, I have had more than one beer because I was like, damn, how am I going to get through this month? This is absurd. You know, so I can see all of us teetering on that edge and with power guys. If you add in, if you add in the 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 the, 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 the thing that plus every day you go to work, you could die, might pump up the pressure a little bit. I do not expect the carriers to be saints any more than they should expect the dogs to be saints. Henry Ford was a rabid anti-Semite. William Levitt would not allow realtors to sell homes to blacks or browns or yellows. 
Vanderbilt is credited with killing thousands of coolies during the construction of the Union and Central Pacific Railroad, but most historians will put the number at around 130. Still, that is quite an accomplishment because considering about 12,000 workers built that railroad, one in every 92.3 of them died doing it, making it hands down the deadliest job of their day. 60 men out of 10,000 workers died building the World Trade Center, averaging 1 in 166.6 tradesmen. Tower worker fatalities since January of 2003 averaged one dead dog per 65 workers. I do not expect the carriers to be saints, but I do expect them to peel back a few layers of insulation when a worker dies rather than what they do, which is immediately attempt to find fault in the climber or the subcontractor or the contractor or the general contractor and cover their asses all the way home. Then they might order a stand down or issue a boilerplate press release expounding how the carrier has always been a staunch proponent of safety in the industry, wee, 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 all the way home. Worker safety has always been a hallmark of AT&T. Though AT&T does not handle wireless tower construction itself, we strongly support the work of OSHA and the National Association of Tower Erectors, who together launched their Wireless Tower Worker Safety Initiative in 2007, resulting in a dramatic improvement in worker safety. The stand-downs usually last 24 hours and consist of your supervisor, Sarge or Jimmy or Scotty, rounding up the crew and saying, please don't do what these asses did and make sure to fill out your JSAs. It's Nancy Reagan saying, just say no. It is always too little too late, but it looks good to whatever press stains to cover the incident. The dramatic improvement in worker safety perhaps is not that all dramatic considering that in the four and a half years before the initiative, there were 57 fatalities, and in the nine and a half years since the initiative, there were 73. That's an improvement, yes, but nothing for any industry to be even remotely smug about. Scene spoke with Beth Shea Palmer, founder of Chick Tech Chicago, about the pernicious pay gaps that exist between men and women and between races. Palmer spoke about the data showing implicit bias and pointed towards a solution, education and openness from people in tech. The award-winning Tech Scene Chicago with Melanie Adcock airs every Friday at 1 p.m. Uh, our next guest is Beth Shea Palmer. She's here with us to tell us about Chick Tech Chicago, their mission, and upcoming events. Uh, Beth, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me again. We're very glad you're here. And, and you were here about a year ago. It is so nice to see you again. How's your year been going? It's been going pretty well, thank you. Um, kind of more of the same. So I'm two years in at Motorola as senior content strategist by day. It's usually what I say. And then by night or all the rest of the time, I'm co-managing a nonprofit called Chick Tech Chicago, which you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And we have been in Chicago for, this is our third year. Mm. So we just had our second annual women's conference and we grew from 150 to 250 uh, women attendees. So that was super cool. That was in October. Mm. Um, so we've just been building and, you know, things have been going well. And that is that is great to hear. Now, I, 
some details uh, from you here. Uh, how, where, when, and, and why did Chick Tech get started? We want to hear about all of it. Sure. Well, I'll start with the why, because that's probably the most important part. So Chick Tech was founded to increase the number of women in tech careers, and they do that by focusing on most stages of a woman's life or anyone who identifies as a female or um, non-binary femme. So we have programs for K through 12. We have programs for women. um, And we are trying to, for the K through 12 age, try to expose them to the potential tech careers by giving them hands-on tech workshops um, that are typically taught by women in tech. So they're starting Mm -hmm. to see themselves in people who are in those careers because that's a big gap um, to to cross. And um, then for women, we're providing support not only to increase their tech skills, but to give them the support so that um, they feel uh, that they can stay in the workforce longer than some women typically can um, due to outside, you know, forces. So we give support everything from um, learning how to negotiate for a salary to um, how to cope with um, certain, you know, female-centric workplace challenges. Mm-hmm. And then we also have just really tech-focused um, workshops like, um, you know, building your Python skills or mm. um, technology related to cybersecurity, et cetera. So that's kind of the why. We're trying to increase the number of women in tech because we know there are so many studies that show that, you know, diversity in the workplace, it's actually an economic incentive uh, products mm-hmm. and ideas are better when there's more diverse voices mm-hmm. so um, and to bridge that gap we also um, you know it was founded by Janice Levenhung and Seeley who is a who is a software engineer and an MBA but she she's in Portland Oregon she founded it about six years ago because in school and all her computer science programs and then in her internships and career thereafter mm-hmm. she was the only woman um, in all all of her classes and teams, and she encountered some some challenges, and she just she really wished there were more females around. Um, so she she founded Chick Tech six years ago to um, to reach that goal of increasing the number of women in tech. And um, in six years, it's grown to twenty cities in the U.S. and it's branching out in Europe. Um, they just had an event in London, so it's all volunteer run in the mm-hmm. cities at the chapter level. And then in Portland, Oregon, there are a few uh, paid staffers now that they've built up grant money and whatnot. So mm. it's a super cool kind of grassroots movement. Yeah, well, we're very glad to hear that history about um, Chick Tech and how it got started. It's a great story. And w- women still don't have equal pay. And this is especially true in uh, the technology industry. Are there any positive developments for changing this? I think the positive developments are just that people are talking about it more and becoming educated on the facts and what they can do mm-hmm. to change things. So at Chick Tech, we've partnered with AAUW and um, General Assembly to hold workshops on this exact topic because really the key is going to be not only educating women and men um, on how to to research and ask for the appropriate salary at their, you know, day one, but also to negotiate for their deserved increases as time goes on. Um, So, you know, there's really, that's kind of the main way that we're tackling it at Chick Tech is just education. Mm -hmm. And I think one really important thing to note is that we're hearing a lot about the gender pay gap. But if you look at the data that AAUW has or other, um, other outlets have, 
you'll see that it's sort of um, more of a minority pay gap than a mm-hmm. gender pay gap. So if you look at the scale, you'll see um, Asian and white men and women at the top of the, the pay scale. And then there's a huge gap. And then there's, you know, black men and women, Latino uh, men and women, and other minority men and women. So <clears throat> while within each race there is a there is a gap and men are making more, um, the biggest gap is really um, a racial gap. So that's why we say it's important for men and women to kind of be educated about this and get their fair salary from that first um, their first job or as soon as they can when they get educated to try to bring their salary up to a fair rate because um, that's the way the gap is going to uh, to close. And I think another education standpoint is for hiring managers and HR mm-hmm. managers. Um, to to be educated about this and to um, have some workplace practices in place that um, kind of require fair fair pay. Hear hear, great great information there. And well, women also don't get promoted in the same numbers as men, especially in the tech industry. Well, why why not? Well, again, when you look at the studies and the data, it's really about. Um, there's bias, and then there's also um, cultural norms uh, that women are taught uh, to kind of placate and to be nice and to you know not make people feel uncomfortable. So those types of things all play into it. So again, the solution is education, both of um, applicants, women and men, and of hiring managers to to care about this issue. So um, one thing we do at Chick Tech is try to hold workshops where again we. We kind of educate on this topic. So the number one thing for women to do is to ask for um, what they want and what they deserve and not to think that if I do good work, I will be recognized. Um, Mm -hmm. If you look at the behaviors that um, men and women demonstrate in the workplace, men ask typically ask for what they want and deserve and kind of demand it and women don't. And then on the other side of that, um, men's requests are easily uh, well received, typically where women will often be um, given a lot more pushback and required to really make a case for what they're asking for. And that's another um, another mm-hmm. barrier that um, you know education can hopefully start to tear down because women shouldn't have to work uh, you know doubly as hard as men to kind of get the same raise if they have the same qualifications and demonstrated success. <laughs> spoke with Sabneet Talwar, the associate editor of the Art Therapy Journal of the American Art Therapy Association, about the wave of sexual harassment cases coming to light in recent weeks. Is there something in the wider American culture driving this behavior? How can we confront it? Divisive airs the third Wednesday of the month at 6 p.m. So, Craig, you you left us off with something interesting to think about, which is, you know, is there something part of this wider culture um, that that is permissive and facilitates uh, widespread uh, violence, um, particularly sexual uh, and domestic violence. Um, how do we use uh, these kinds of violence as a way to analyze the larger structures, um, organizations, systems uh, that we are all a part of? Um, 
so I'm going to go back to you because I think you were taking us in into this last half of our show as a way to um, link these two together. Well, yeah, and I was saying that in some ways, as you, you know, obviously they're different issues, but in some ways, as you were talking about the investigation that was being launched, um, and I hope that some of the leadership of AATA might be listening to this um, and hearing me make this comparison between them and people who systematically encouraged young people to put up with sexual abuse, assault, and harassment, because I do think um, in many ways oppression is linked in these ways. So, for example, the One Tree Hill uh, cast members all signed a letter uh, along with a number of crew, long-term crew that worked on One Tree Hill, and they talk about in the letter actually having meetings where people heard their their complaints of sexual um, harassment and told them, you know, if you come forward with this, you will put the show in jeopardy and all these people will lose their jobs. You will ruin One Tree Hill, and you'll also ruin the special meaning that One Tree Hill has for all of the young viewers, and you'll kind of ruin their young lives. Right. So in the same way that it's like, well, we can't critique art therapy because this has to be about art therapy. Right. It has to be um, uh, putting forward this positive idea of our field. This same thing was done over and over again. These very preposterous, um, truly preposterous um, ideas being put forward um, and, and actually working to silence um, people until we've had this cultural moment, I feel, where there is this flood happening. And I think that this flood that's happening with Me Too may very well go beyond just um, dealing with the issue of sexual assault and sexual abuse, as important as that would be to right. to do that. I think it, it may go further um, in these kinds of explosions of really looking at systems of oppression. Well, I want to I want to go even further as it relates to the connection uh, to this pushback from the American Art Therapy Association and not just the association, but some of its members um, that that has to do with exploitation um, and has to do with exploitation of people who are vulnerable for the sake of a, a promoting a profession um, that you would allow that you would be compliant uh complicit in allowing uh rampant uh poverty and uh violence um war you know all these things that we're again we're all a part of and implicated in this culture um for the sake of being able to practice your you know your skills or your profession and that that if we come in the way that if we stand in the way of that profession in some way by saying saying no to Karen Pence then we'd somehow be denying this gift of art therapy to the public and and we'd be denying this gift of art therapy to people who have supported uh, the Trump administration. We need to be thinking about them too. Some so, yeah. some notion is if we aren't thinking about them when we're thinking about healthcare, like as if we aren't thinking about them when we're doing the critique. That in fact, this critique is 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 much more concerned with the well-being of folks who would who might have potentially voted for uh, Trump. But actually, I do care about uh, Trump supporters' healthcare. <laughs> You know, like actually, 
you know, I do care about their uh, ability to access uh, safe and uh, affordable um, uh, reproductive health services. I do care about that. Um, that's that's why I'm upset. <laughs> right. 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 I, I just wanted to add, uh, you know, this this intimate relationship between power and intimidation and mm. the that how power is also about uh, intimidation. But it's also about com- asking people to comply by shaming them, by scaring yeah. them. Um, and I think that that this part, this relationship uh, between power and intimidation, power and uh, violence, they go hand in hand, whether you're talking about, you know, um, the Weinstein uh, allegations um, about sexual assault versus even our, the American Art Therapy Association trying to intimidate us by talking about somehow that they are the keepers of this very sacred profession and that they know how this profession needs to be defined and what the parameters of that are. So, yeah, uh, you just don't ruin a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And that somehow uh, they have been at the forefront uh, about, uh, you know, uh, what the profession has been and what the profession needs to be and what uh, who is a credible person. I think they don't understand the power that they have in intimidating somebody by conducting this kind of investigation Um as well as, uh, you know, talking about integrity, right? Somehow they have more integrity in their words than anybody else does. Today we're in Jess's apartment while she's at work. I'm making something to bring the Thanksgiving dinner. Why you gotta bring some? <laughs> right? Ed told me if I didn't contribute, I couldn't partake. Well, uh, why don't you just show up late? I done that. Well, I got an idea, you know, how about you just bring a mushy bag of tacos and, uh, tell me your casserole dish broke. I done that too. Damn. Guess we gotta make something. Hence, today we're cooking up an undertown classic. The empty-handed ham sandwich. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm good at this one. Alright, what do I gotta do first? Get the blender. Yeah. First, I gotta go to the bathroom. Oh, okay. Just, yeah. Keep keep with the directions. Talking to the. Uh... Yeah. Just. I'll be right back. All right. Cool. First, the ingredients: six eight-ounce tubes of liverwurst, three white onions, eight ounces of yellow mustard, six ounces Limburger cheese water. Blend ingredients until chunky. Spread in a 9 by 13 casserole dish. Okay, where we at? Put the ingredients into the All blender. Right. I just gotta... Yeah, I, I, I break this up here. Is this good? Yes. Ah, it's so mushy. Yeah, oh, fingers and whatnot. Did you wash your hands? I, I'll do that when I get home. Dude, you're supposed to wash your hands before going to the bathroom. And, well, you know, I could just stop right... Come on, it, it, it's too late. Just, just do it tomorrow. Back to the food. Put the ingredients in the blender. Don't forget to lick your fingers. A little good something for the chef. Here we go. Starting the blender. Now transfer the chunky mash into a 9x13 casserole dish. Put in an oven at 425 degrees for uh, 20 minutes. (laughs) It stinks so good. Why didn't you bring a respirator? I was supposed to. Yeah. All right, 
It's in the oven. Now we wait 20 minutes. Whoa! Ah, oh, no, it blew up all in the oven. Ah, oh, this isn't good. Hey, well, it's food now. <laughs> Is it ready to serve? Well, you gotta let it sit at room temperature for at least 48 hours. What temperature does the room gotta be at? Come on, man. Fahrenheit. All right, then what? Well, then you serve it to the natives. All right, now, I've always been confused about this. Does this complete the thinking I'm supposed to be doing? Maybe. Just remember, one hour after they eat it, seize the property. This week on the Trump Diaries, Trump sues to stop the AT&T Time Warner merger. Is it payback for CNN? Nunchen and his wife strike a villainous pose. Kushner comes under Mueller's microscope. And the White House supports accused pedophile Roy Moore because, well, tax cuts for the ultra-wealthy are more important than kids. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 301, November 16th. Attorney General Jeff Sessions denied he had perjured himself before Congress claiming he had forgotten about a campaign roundtable in which an aide, George Papadopoulos, who has pled guilty, suggested arranging a meeting for Trump in Moscow. Sessions has now twice amended sworn testimony and court documents show Sessions did in fact meet with Papadopoulos. He also met with Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak at least twice during the campaign. And the House passed a sweeping rewrite of the tax codes as Republicans seek to enact $1.5 trillion in tax cuts for the ultra-wealthy and corporations. The House voted 227 to 205 to approve the bill. A new analysis of the bill shows it substantially raises taxes on the poor and middle class while giving the wealthy even bigger breaks than previously reported. The bill faces significant hurdles in the Senate where four Republican senators are on the fence about the bill, particularly a provision that would effectively upend the Obamacare markets. And Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson said he would not support the Republican tax plan in its current form, saying it favors corporations over small businesses and the middle class. Six renegade House members introduced articles of impeachment against Trump. The charges include obstruction of justice and violations of the Constitution. Illinois House member Luis Gutierrez is among the signers. The White House asked Congress today for $44 billion in additional relief from this year's devastating hurricanes, but urged lawmakers to make spending cuts to offset disaster costs that are now approaching $100 billion. And Trump's economic advisor Gary Cohn was left nonplussed when a room of CEOs said they don't plan to increase investments if the Republican tax plan is passed. Cohen asked for a show of hands if executives plan to increase hiring. Few did, saying they would merely stash the money or increase dividends to stockholders. Nearly 1.5 million people have signed up for the Affordable Care Act health care plan in the first two weeks of open enrollment. That is the fastest start to open enrollment ever. Day 302, November 17th. A radio newscaster who said she was groped and kissed without her consent by Al Franken, the Democratic senator of Minnesota, said she will meet with Franken. Franken immediately released an apology to the newscaster, Leanne Tweeden, who says she accepted. In related news, eight female staffers of Franken sent an open letter to the Senate ethics panel saying Franken never treated them with anything but respect and never saw evidence of the conduct Franken is accused of. Trump chided Franken on Twitter for his sexual misconduct. Quote, the Al Frankenstein picture, Frankenstein is misspelled, is really bad, speaks a thousand words. Trump added last week that Franken, quote, was lecturing anyone who would listen about sexual harassment and respect for women. Eleven women have accused Trump of unwanted touching or kissing over several decades. One case is before court. Trump has called the allegations, quote, pure fiction and fake news and referred to the women as horrible, horrible liars. Nearly 200,000 gallons of oil have leaked from the Keystone Pipeline in South Dakota, blackening a grassy field in a remote part of the state. 
One EPA spokesman said, quote, this is not a little spill from any perspective. No livestock or drinking water sources appear to be threatened, but the spill came just days before regulators are deciding whether to grant the final permit needed to begin construction on a different pipeline proposal in the same network, the Keystone XL. Day 303, November 18th. The Guardian is reporting that the author of the Trump dossier believes his report is 70 to 90 percent accurate. Christopher Steele's reports were commissioned as opposition research. The report contains explosive allegations that the Kremlin had personally compromising material on Trump, including sex tapes recording during a 2013 trip to Moscow, as well as evidence that Trump and his associates actively colluded with Russian intelligence to influence the election. The FBI was so concerned about the report, it alerted then-President Obama and then-candidate Trump to the report's existence. Day 304, November 19th. Republican Senator Susan Collins said on Sunday she does not support the current Republican tax plan in the Senate potentially imperiling the measure. The tax plan, which has been described as almost comically evil, would raise taxes on the poor and give massive breaks to the wealthy. Republicans who are trying to pass the measure using reconciliation can only afford to lose two senators. Four Republican senators are currently on the fence. And Trump fired back Sunday at the father of one of the UCLA basketball players arrested in China earlier this month after father LeVar Ball downplayed Trump's help in securing the player's release. Quote, shoplifting is a very big deal in China, as it should be. Five to ten years in jail, but not to Father LeVar. Should have gotten his son out during my next trip to China and said, China told them while they were released, very ungrateful, I should have left them in jail. LeVar Ball said the incident was blown out of proportion, saying, quote, they try to make a big deal out of nothing sometimes. I'm from L.A. I've seen a lot worse things happen to a guy than taking some glasses. Day 305, November 20th. Jared Kushner is now reportedly a person of interest in the Mueller probe. Kushner failed to disclose that a senior Russian official tried to arrange a meeting between Putin and Trump. The Senate Judiciary Committee accused Kushner of withholding an email from Alexander Torshkin, who claimed to be acting at the behest of Putin in a May 2016 email. The subject line read, quote, Russian backdoor overture and dinner invite. Spanish anti-corruption officials say Torshkin is a godfather of the Russian mafia. Trump officially designated North Korea as a state sponsor of terrorism, returning the rogue nation to a list from which it had been removed during the George W. Bush administration. North Korea had been removed from the list in an attempt to salvage negotiations for a nuclear deal. North Korea joined Sudan, Syria, and Iran as countries the State Department identifies as ones that have repeatedly provided support for acts of state terrorism. A second woman is now accusing Senator Al Franken of inappropriately grabbing her during a photo op in 2010. The woman, Lindsay Menz, told CNN the incident with Franken was uncomfortable and made her feel gross. Menz added that she saw Franken at the Minnesota State Fair in 2010 at a time when he was a senator. Franken has said he does not remember the woman or the incident. Kellyanne Conway said that the White House supports Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore because, quote, we want the votes to pass tax reform. Conway was discussing tax reform on Fox News when she said Doug Jones, the Democrat in the Alabama Senate race, will be a vote against tax cuts. I'm telling you that we want the votes in the Senate to get this tax bill through. Conway's comment comes less than a week after saying, quote, no Senate seat is worth more than a child. Roy Moore, of course, is accused of molesting a 14-year-old girl. And BuzzFeed reported that H.R. McMaster mocked Trump at a private dinner, calling him a dope and an idiot. The National Security Advisor added that Trump has the intelligence of a kindergartner. And Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said he and his wife, Louise Linton, struck a villainous pose with a sheet of dollar bills because he didn't think the pictures would be public. The photographer who took the photos for Pool Media said, quote, I'm not really sure how they didn't think that. I think it was pretty obvious it was a media photo op. 
Day 306, November 21st. AT&T's bid to acquire Time Warner was dealt a massive blow late on Monday when the government filed an antitrust lawsuit to stop the deal, claiming their combined market power would lead to higher prices for consumers. The challenge is the first major antitrust enforcement action be brought under the Trump administration, and it marks a departure from decades of Justice Department practice of approving deals that unite a supplier of content and a distributor in a so-called vertical merger. There is a suspicion the block is politically motivated. Trump has repeatedly railed against CNN's coverage of him. Time Warner owns CNN. Major newspaper boards came out against the block on Tuesday with Bush's former ethics head claiming Trump is trying to force the sale of CNN to Fox News' owner, Rupert Murdoch. No vertical merger has been blocked in 40 years. AT&T says it will sue and is hoping to use discovery to prove the block is politically motivated. And a federal judge has permanently blocked Trump's executive order to cut funding to so-called sanctuary cities. U.S. District Court Judge William Oreck issued the ruling money in lawsuits brought by San Francisco and Santa Clara. Oreck said Trump cannot set new conditions on spending approved by Congress. The judge had previously put a temporary hold on the order the Trump administration is appealing to a higher court. And the Justice Department asked the Supreme Court on Monday evening to allow officials to implement the entirety of Trump's revised Muslim ban issued in September via presidential proclamation. The third iteration of Trump's Muslim ban limits travel to the U.S. by citizens of eight countries. It has previously been blocked in lower courts. The Department of Homeland Security announced on Monday it would cancel a temporary residence program that allowed nearly 60,000 Haitians to live and work in the United States. Acting Homeland Security Secretary Elaine Duke gave Haitians living with TPS temporary protected status until July 22, 2019 to either leave the country or apply for a different legal immigration category. Haitian citizens were allowed to stay in the USA after a 2010 earthquake devastated that nation. And the Federal Communications Commission Chairman Anchit Pai will reportedly seek to completely repeal net neutrality rules put in place under former President Barack Obama. Pi seeks to completely remove those rules which are classified internet service providers as telecommunications companies and required them to treat all web traffic equally. The FCC is to vote on the subject next month. Day 307, November 22nd. Trump defended Roy Moore on Tuesday, saying that Mr. Moore totally denies the allegations against him. Trump added that Alabama voters should not support Doug Jones, the Democratic candidate running against Moore in a special election next month. We don't need a liberal person in there, a Democrat, Jones, said Trump. I've looked at his record. It's terrible on crime. It's terrible on the border. It's terrible on the military. Moore has been accused of sexual assault against a 14-year-old girl. Seven other women have also accused Moore of such behavior against teenage girls. Moore has been abandoned by virtually all other Republicans in Congress. And Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi has called for the House Ethics Committee to investigate sexual harassment charges against John Conyers Jr., the top Democrat on the House Judiciary Committee. Conyers confirmed a settlement of a wrongful termination complaint in 2015 from a staff member who accused him of sexual harassment. Legal documents obtained by BuzzFeed News showed repeated allegations by female staff members for Conyers of requests for sex, suggestive touching, and other sexual improprieties. And as expected, FCC Chairman Anjit Pai will repeal net neutrality rules put in place under former President Barack Obama. The rules forced ISPs to treat all traffic equally. The FCC is to vote on the subject next month and is likely to pass the rule. The repeal is a win for large broadband providers, but a loss for consumers who are likely to see services like Netflix go up in price and smaller websites who may be totally squeezed out of the market. Companies such as Amazon and Netflix are likely to sue to stop the action. Consumer groups have also correctly noted that broadband companies have been incredibly profitable under net neutrality rules despite complaints those rules hamper their businesses. And the Senate tax plan would raise taxes on 50% of Americans, according to the nonpartisan Tax Policy Center. Trump today, meanwhile, touted the plan as a Christmas miracle, saying, quote, we're going to give the American people a huge tax cut for Christmas. Hopefully that will be a great, big, beautiful Christmas present.
And New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman is investigating how the Donald J. Trump Foundation collects and disperses funds after learning that the Trump National Golf Club in Westchester County settled a lawsuit using money from the Trump Foundation. The golf club then reimbursed Trump's charitable foundation the $158,000 used to settle the lawsuit. Trump's approval rating at Thanksgiving is 38% in the new 538 Megapole. That is the lowest for any standing president during the holiday period. These are the Trump Diaries. Radio Free chatted with Lumpin' Radio favorite Fee Lion on the occasion of her new single and upcoming show at the Empty Bottle. Justina performed her signature witchy music live in Studio B. Radio Free with John Daly and Jamie Trecker airs every Tuesday drive time at 4 p.m. Welcome back to Radio Free Bridgeport on WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpin' Radio. We are joined today by Justina Karate of, of Fee Lion who's playing at the uh, Empty Bottle. Justina, welcome back. Hi, thank you so much for having me back. It's great to be here. How, how did you get started in, in the uh, music business, particularly you're, you're producing every every level of your, your music here? Well, I guess I have been playing music my entire life, but uh, the I, I guess it's a little bit of like a control um, issue where I, I love to have things uh, the way that I see them in my brain. You know, so for me to be able to go into the computer and, and produce things and bring the levels up to how I'm envisioning it is such a, I don't know, it's it's fun, it's exciting, it can be frustrating, but in the end it's the way I prefer to work and um, that way the product feels more, it, it feels special, it feels genuine, um, it feels untouched and raw uh, and, and I kind of like that. So, But I very much, as far as like producing goes and recording, I very much am still learning. So w- when it gets to the um, point of recording, I do have people help me, um, to, you, you know, to get it to the level where... Uh, to the level where I, you know, feel comfortable with it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just like having my hands on everything and just building something myself. It feels really good. Are there people that you've, you've been working with as, as a producer in the area? Yeah. Um, my good friend, Andy Malad, um, helped me record and, you know, he engineered, uh, the latest single on me and he also did vision the one before that. Um, as well as Dan Foley from Bathhouse, he helped me record and uh, you know do some cool sound stuff on uh, my EP previous mm-hmm. to that. That was two, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna hear some stuff from from that uh, a little later on. Can you tell us a little bit about? I mean, for again, we're, you're gonna hear uh, Feline playing a little bit, but you're, I would call your stuff kind of dark wave kind of stuff. What is what is most of your music about? If you don't mind talking about that. Yeah, I mean it's. It, it ranges. A lot of it is just, I, I keep it pretty simple. I don't go deep into heavy lyrics. Um, I keep it pretty minimal as far as, it, you know, emotion goes and as far as even instrumentation and production goes. And it, that's a good point. I mean, my, my music is going deeper into the dark wave, like synth poppy um realm but it started off as just um me and a guitar you know in its simplest form it was just an acoustic guitar and uh my voice 
and then it later morphed into a guitar, my voice, loop pedal, and then, you know, I added organ to it, and then I added synth to it, and now, you know, the computer, which is fairly new for me. I wasn't using a computer for a fairly long time, and so, yeah, I guess it's just growing into um, a more, I don't know, it's evolving Mm -hmm. into its truest form, I think, and dark wave, synth pop, that's the kind of music that I listen to. I I love all of those, you know, sounds. I love a little bit of like an 80s synth with like an industrial uh, kick drum. And, you know, so it's personally what I listen to. So I think that's starting to come out in my own music that I've been making. Are there people in in Chicago or in that scene that you're, you're really interested in and kind of influenced by or people that you look up to that you've been able to play with? Yeah, I mean, there's so many. And I'm, again, to plug this show again, and I'm not even thinking of that, but all the 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 bill for the November 30th show, all of those people are people that I think doing just a fantastic job. And I look up to all of them, like, every song that they've made is so good. And it just feels right. It's exciting. It's, I, I think, groundbreaking in the Chicago scene. So, you know, Wingtips, Replicant, um, Panic Priest, um, there's Hyde, there's Spa Moans, like a bunch of really good music is happening in Chicago, and I'm just excited to be a part of it. That's something we've talked about, and, and John and I have been on the show quite a bit talking about the Chicago music scene. We usually talk about it in terms of, of jazz, mm. but I think we've been feeling, and I don't know if you'd agree, that there's something different and kind of special that's going on right now in Chicago. There seems to be a lot of people Connecting the dots, is that the right way to put it, John? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think we're always very curious about, um, you know, how artists are coming up in Chicago uniquely versus either other cities or what the their creative process is. Is there more collaboration? Is there more, and not just genre-specific, but, um, you know, or, or is it harder? You know, those are the, some of the things that we've ex- explored a lot, and people, particularly in the jazz scene, have had, had some interesting feedback. So, mm. you know, I think we're always curious about how, uh, how other folks are... Are, are feeling the uh, the muse of Chicago. Yeah, I definitely do agree. I think it's an exciting time in Chicago, um, especially it, it seems like the DIY scene a little bit is starting to break out of the DIY shell. And I see a bunch of bands that, you know, maybe have been, that have started a while ago are, are now developing into bigger and just like powerhouse groups and, that's exciting. I'm really excited to see where all that goes. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because uh, we've had a bunch of people. Uh, Ohm has been on the show, and they kind of came out of the DIY scene. Yeah, um, absolutely. Mar- Marin Celeste. We should thank Corey Albritton, by the way, who is uh, Marin's partner. He's helping out with production and vocals today. So thank you very much for sitting in, Corey. But um, there, and you know, Makaya McRaven, uh, some of the people on the International Anthem label, they've all come out of that house party DIY scene. Mm-hmm. And, and you came out of some of that as well. Mm-hmm. You, you did a lot of DIY stuff. You were playing around town in places... Uh, before you were at the Empty Bottle. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we talked about, I guess, that a lot. How, how nurturing was that scene in this city? Because it's, it's been kind of difficult lately with the crackdown on alt spaces and stuff mm-hmm. like that to, to have places to play. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that my start was actually at Salonathon with, you know, at Beauty Bar with Jane Beachy and Will Von Vogt. Um, I came across that scene when I was pretty pretty new to, you know, expressing myself musically in Chicago 
even though I'm from here and I've been here for a long time, it was when I was first, I, I think I moved back from New York and I was really eager to find people that were curious and like would listen. And so Salonathon was amazing. And I would say even though, you know, it was at a venue that is a bar and has permits and exists, um, still a lot of the work being done there was very much DIY and it was just amazing. Like I owe everything to Salonathon and, um, yeah, but apart from that, other venues, man, I can't remember. There have been so many. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of them have gone. Something Mortville's gone out of business. Uh, yeah. Or Fort, Fort Thunder. Um, I'm blanking on a couple of the others, but uh, you know, there's there's just not that many around. Right. You know, unfortunately, that that are willing and able to to throw a bigger event. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. But even even though that is true, the venues that or the DIY spaces that do exist now. That's why we have to support them even more and, you know, go, go out to the gigs that they're doing and the shows that they're putting up. Um, a lot of it is really good. That's great. And I think you, you guys are going to you're going to play some uh, stuff yet. Once again, if you guys want uh, tickets to this show, you can call the CoPro hotline. That's 860-455-6628. Hannah is standing by to take your calls. If you call in, get yourself a pair of tickets to see Feline November 30th with Repgun, Wingtips and Panic Priest, as well as... Scary Lady Sarah, well, I didn't know she was still DJing. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. amazing. She's her been around and, forever. Yeah, her and uh, Philly Peroxide are sharing oh, oh, the, awesome. um, the booth. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. All right, so you want to hit it for us? Oh, sure. Let's see what we got. All right, this one's on me.
right now I'm working on some new stuff. Most of it is, you know, in drafts in the process. Mm-hmm. And so I'll play one called Blood Sisters, um, which is unreleased and unrecorded. Uh, it'll probably be my next single. Cool. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yes. All right, here we go.
The Lumpen Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is edited and engineered by Logan Bay. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. Lumpen Radio Sting by Dan Jugal. Voiceovers by Ed Marzuski, Jamie Trecker, and Shanna Van Volt. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Lumpen Radio broadcasts on 105.5 FM in the Chicago area and worldwide via lumpenradio.com. Yeah.